Well, again, good morning. It is good. It is good to see you. I'm still, I'm so excited that we can all be gathered in one place. And I know that you're learning. I know that you're trying to get it figured out. By the way, tomorrow is a mental health day, right? No class tomorrow. Yes. You all knew that. You were aware of that. Um, I want to do something. I want to do something a bit different this morning. I want to rewind with you just a little bit. I'm going to move a little closer to you, actually, because it feels you're way out there, and I'm way up here, and that feels stupid. Oh, there you are. Uh, I want to rewind a bit. We've talked about, we've talked about hope uh, in this semester of hope. And Monday, Monday, I talked to you about how we have hope because the devil is on the run. Like, we have hope because we have victory in Jesus. Hope because, because there's nothing holding us back. But again, I want to I rewind together as a group this morning because I think, I think we need to get on the same page and set some groundwork. Because the more I get to know you as a campus, the more I spend time with some of you, the more I get this sense that, that perhaps we need to back up and we need to unpack together what it means when I say things like, Jesus is our hope. Because for a lot of us, even the phrase Jesus is our hope can feel foreign. It might not make much sense. So this morning I want to do something a little different. I simply want to tell you about Jesus. My tendency when I speak is that I'll open the Bible and I'll take a passage from the Bible and I'll I'll dig into it and I'll unpack it and I'll ask the question, what is this ancient text? What does it mean for us here now today? Uh, But this morning I simply want to look at Jesus. And I want to give you the clearest possible picture of Jesus that I can. Now, some of you here this morning, you know Jesus. And that's awesome. That's fantastic. Some of you think you know Jesus, and and we'll see. Some of you, your family wants you to know Him. Some of you used to know Him, and then you started dating, and we need to get Jesus like back in first place in your life. And some of you came to Central, and you don't, you don't know anything about Jesus. And I understand that. I get that. I didn't come to know Jesus until I was 20. So, so if that's where you're at, just know that I'm glad that you're here. Um, some, some stuff about Jesus. Jesus was born uh, roughly 2,000 years ago. He was born in a small, dumpy, rural, hick town. So if you're from Oklahoma, be encouraged. Huh, that was a joke. That was, that was funny. That was, I am funny. Uh, Jesus, Jesus was from a, none of you, like all the Oklahoma people are like, I'm out, I'm done. Uh, Jesus was from a small town. Jesus was born to a teenage mom. So girls, can you imagine that? Imagine you're pregnant with God. Like you don't, man, you don't want to mess that up. Jesus was born to a teenage mom. His dad was a construction worker named Joseph. Um, he had brothers and sisters. Like, have you ever considered that, that Jesus had brothers and sisters? He was the oldest, but he had brothers and sisters. I mean, like, how many of you think it would be awesome if Jesus was your older brother? Who would, good, yeah, I think it would suck. Like, I think that would be the, I mean, can you imagine that? It would be terrible. There would be like, hey, mom, Jesus and I are fighting again. And she'd be like, well, I know who started it. Oh, that would be, be the worst. 
Jesus had brothers and sisters. Jesus never traveled more than 100 or 200 miles from his home. Jesus never wrote a book. He never ran for political office. He was flat broke. He was poor. He probably didn't have long hair. In the culture that he was a part of, the fact that his father was a carpenter means that he probably had short hair. Oh, and he wasn't white. Jesus probably looks closer to someone from the Middle East than he does to any sort of white American image that we get of him. You know the one of Jesus where he's wearing like a beauty pageant sash and a white bathrobe and he's like hailing a taxi and holding a lamb like that picture, right? And he he looks Swedish. That wasn't Jesus. No one is more famous than Jesus right now in the world. Right now, a few billion people say, Jesus is my God. There have been more songs written, more artwork created, more books written about Jesus than any other person ever. We even divide our calendar. We recount history around Jesus. B.C. means before Christ. A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Our calendars are based around Jesus. Jesus is everywhere. Everyone is talking about Jesus still today. Kanye West wrote a bunch of songs about Jesus. And Katy Perry says she believes in Jesus. And I I don't know if she does. Justin Bieber likes to be held because it makes him feel holy, holy, holy. (laughs) For years, for years, movies and TV shows have engaged Jesus in different ways. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, hey Zeus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always Mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie... Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. <sighs> your tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist palm. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight-pound, 
six ounce newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. Amen. Everyone is talking about Jesus. I, no matter how many times I watch that clip, and it's been a few times, my favorite part is always the endorsement contract where he has to mention Powerade during. Like, I love, like, that is the most ridiculous thing. Everyone's talking about Jesus, and everyone has an opinion about Jesus. But don't you hate it? Don't you hate it when everyone talks about you, but no one actually talks to you? Like, that's called college, right? Yeah. Well, today, today as I jump into this, I want to unpack the very basic Christian idea that Jesus is our hope. And I want to take a really simple look at Jesus. And I want to, for a moment, I want to stop listening to what people are saying about Jesus and look at what Jesus actually said about himself. So, I want to give you, I want to give you a few things that Jesus actually said about himself. Is everyone with me? We're ready to go. Number one, Jesus said he was God. Jesus said he was God. Now, you might from time to time come into contact with someone, maybe you already have, who says, look, Jesus never said he was God. He was just like a really good teacher, but he never claimed to be God. We, we, just, we just imposed that on him. John chapter 10, starting in verse 30, says this, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are stoning you not for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Essentially, he says, I'm God. And so these religious leaders accuse him of blasphemy. What's blasphemy? Blasphemy is claiming to be God when you're not. And so they get ready to stone him. Now, for those of you that might be new to this, when it says stone him, it doesn't, it's not like, it's not like the fun version of the word. So that's not what it means. It means that the baseball team comes in with large rocks and they are hurled at you until you're beaten pretty much to death. So Jesus is accused of blasphemy because he's claiming to be God. Jesus did, in fact, claim to be God. And Christianity is the only religion where this is the case. Buddha never claimed to be God. Mahatma Gandhi, leader of the Hindu religion, never claimed to be God. Muhammad never claimed to be God. Jesus is the only one who has ever claimed to be God and then proved it with the miracles he performed. I mean, bringing a guy back from the dead... Jesus did in fact say, I'm God. Jesus said he was God. Number two, Jesus said he was sinless. Jesus said he was sinless. Let's talk about sin for a second. 
the Bible says that all wrongdoing is sin. So did you know that sin, sin includes your thoughts? I mean, can you imagine if they were like on this screen up here, if it just started scrolling through every thought you have as you think it? Like, could you imagine? It's like, oh, I just like, I got like really like physically sick there for a second. Do you know that God can read your mind? So if your thoughts count as sin, how many of us have sinned? And our words, our words count as sin? How many of you have said things that you know you shouldn't have? How many of you have been speaking in chapel and you've said things that you know you shouldn't have? Yeah, yeah. Our words count. And so do our deeds, so do our actions. And our actions count as sin both ways. What I mean is, Sin is the thing that you did that you know that you shouldn't have done. But sin is also not doing the thing that you know you should have. It's both. Sin. Sin is anything that robs another human being of their dignity and humanity. Sin is not only individual, but it's also corporate. It can be systemic. Any form of prejudice or racism or xenophobia or homophobia, all of that is sin. Sin is anything that disrupts God's shalom, His peace. And Jesus says, Jesus says He's sinless. That He never sinned. In John chapter 8, He straight up calls out the religious leaders and He says, look, can any of you prove that I'm guilty of sin? No, you can't because I'm sinless. Now, for someone to say they're sinless and that they come from heaven and that they perform miracles, either Jesus is telling the truth and he's God or he's totally nuts. Again, with all that Jesus claimed, either one, he's God, or two, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Remember last chapel, I talked about this quote from C.S. Lewis. I'm going to have to get closer because I don't know why I thought you'd be able to read this. C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Number five. Jesus said that he forgives sin. Mark chapter two, verse five says this. Next slide, maybe. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said he forgives sin. The people are amazed they're freaked out. How can Jesus forgive sins? How can Jesus forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sin. Jesus forgives sins. 
explanation, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And only Jesus can forgive sin. These are big, big claims. These are what Jesus said about himself. These are big claims. Number four. Jesus promised to judge all people. How many of you like to use this line or you've ever used this line? You can't judge me. You're not the boss of me. Who has ever, and you can think back to younger, that's, you know, maybe some of you, who's ever been like, you're not the boss of me? Is anybody, guess? When I was a student at Central, I lived in Parsons Hall and there was this guy on our wing and his nickname was Little Man, because he was small. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he, he might have been small in size, but he was big in attitude. And he would, come, he would announce his presence on our wing every time he came onto our wing. He would bust open the door and he would say, Listen up, people. Little Man is here, and I do what I want when I want. Like, that was his thing. And little man would listen to his music at 7.30 in the morning in the bathroom before the rest of us were awake. And I remember he had an altercation with another gentleman on our wing who was quite bigger than he was. And I remember hearing this noise coming from the bathroom, and it was this other guy on our wing yelling at little man because his music was up, and he had gone, and he'd be like, dude, can you turn that down? And little man was like, I do what I want, when I want. You're not the boss of me. And this other guy lost his mind. Like, he snapped. We're talking about a six-foot-four basketball player that was screaming like a high-pitched girl. It was amazing. You, shut up! I need you to shut up! Because I was like, what is happening in here? How many of you have ever heard the line, you're not the boss of me? I know I've used it before. But Jesus said he was going to judge everyone as God. John chapter 5. Next slide. Starting in verse 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus makes some big statements. He says, I came from heaven. I've never sinned. Want to watch me walk on water? He makes these statements, and everyone's looking at him with this look on their face like, who is this guy? And then he says, I tell you the truth. Jesus says, hey, let, let me shoot you straight. He, he, he knows that you and I, that we're going to hear statements like this, and, and we're, we're going to be like, is this guy for real? Is this true? Because that's a big statement. He knows that we're going to do that. He says, look, I'm not lying to you. And then in verse 24, he says this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus says, when you die, when you die, you will stand before the God who created it all, the God who sees and knows everything, and who, and let me try that again, you will, you will stand before the God who sees and knows everything, and that will be Jesus. Jesus says, you're going to stand in front of me. Jesus says that he's the God that you and I will stand in front of in the end. That's a big statement, folks. 
I mean, right now on earth, there are billions of people. Billions of people. And at the end of time, every single one of them, they're going to stand before Jesus. And Jesus knows everyone's heart, everyone's mind. He knows all of our thoughts and all of our words, all of our deeds. He's the God who came down from heaven and knows everything. And if we end up spending eternity with Him forever, it will be because we know Him. Jesus is God. He alone is God. You and I will stand before Him. And I don't know if any of you with maybe family or friends You've been in these sort of conversations and you've been like, look, at the end of the day, you're no better than me. You can't judge me. And that may be true if you're talking with your family or friends. Like, that's true. The problem is you can't say that to Jesus. You die and you stand before Jesus and He'll say, you never knew me. You didn't love me. I told you about me. Remember that time? Remember that morning in chapel? I was trying to extend a hand of friendship and you ignored it. You can't say Jesus, you can't judge me. You're no better than me. He'll be like, uh, actually, I'm without sin. So yes, I'm better than you. Number five, Jesus said he's the only way to heaven. Jesus said he's the only way to heaven. And I said earlier that Jesus came from heaven. And so who else would be able to take you to heaven but somebody who is from there? I mean, he knows where he's going. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus paints this picture of himself as a door. And he says, look, if you want to go to heaven, I'm the way. You want your sins forgiven? I'm the way. You want the best possible life, a life that starts right now? I'm the way. And you hear other perspectives and other religions, and you, you hear them say, well, that's, Christianity is only one way. It's only one path. All paths lead to the same place. But Jesus very clearly says, no, it's not like that. It's, no, all paths don't lead to the same place because I, if we're one, am saying that mine is the only way. You want to know God I'm the way. Jesus said he was God. Jesus said he was sinless. Jesus said that he actually forgives sin. Jesus said that one day he will judge all of humanity and that he himself is the only way to heaven. So, in one word, who's Jesus? Jesus is God. And the next question, the big question, is who cares? What did Jesus do for you? We talked about sin and how Jesus never had any. And you and I have plenty, right? And the, the Bible also says that the punishment for sin is death. Like, wherever there's sin, there's going to be death. But remember, Jesus never sinned. And so Jesus takes all of our sin and all the stuff we've ever done wrong and all the stuff we're ever going to do wrong. And he takes it all on himself and he dies as the punishment for sin because the punishment for sin is always death. 
And Jesus didn't just die like an ordinary death. He was crucified. Which means he hung on a cross. But again, who cares? That's great. Some dude 2,000 years ago died on a cross, and everyone gets really sad about it at this time of year. But really, what does it have to do with me in 2021 right now here? Who cares? You can get all worked up about it, Pastor Zach, but I don't care because that doesn't affect me. Who cares? Why is this such a big deal? Why is Jesus dying on the cross the biggest event in all of history? Because when Jesus died on the cross, something happened. You see, sin, sin affects the entire, the entire world. Like things like death and disease, decay, cancer, heartbreak, all of those things, they're a result of sin. The world wasn't supposed to be this way. So when Jesus died on the cross, yeah, it was for you, it was for for me, but it was also for all of it, all of creation. Jesus was Jesus was fixing. He was paying the price for all of it. Sin leads to death. Jesus died for you and for me, but for all of it. One death for all time. Did Jesus ever sin? No. He's the only person in the history of the world to never sin. So he's the only person in the history of the world who will be able to die as the penalty for all the sin of the world. Jesus took all of this stuff on himself. And in return, he invites us into this life that's the fullest possible life. It's this best possible life. It's a life that starts now and goes on forever. It's a life where there's no fear of death because death is just an address change thanks to Jesus. Why did Jesus do this? Who cares? Because he loves you. Jesus loved you so much that he took a beating for you. He loves you so much that he was flogged for you. And if you don't know what that means, Google it. Jesus loves you so much that he carried a cross. He loves you so much that he was crucified. And he lived, loved you so much that he literally died of a broken heart. Jesus loves you. He loves me. It's that much. So when I say that our hope is in Jesus, that's the Jesus I'm talking about. That's what I mean. And so you have a choice to make. It's simple, but it's not simple. It's easy, I've just spent, I spent the last little bit telling you about Jesus. I've told you about someone who's changed my life. I've told you the full story. I've told you the real story. I've told you what Jesus said about himself. I haven't sugarcoated anything. I haven't told you any funny stories. I've done my very best to be real with you. But now you have a choice. As you consider what it means to live the kind of life that Jesus calls you to, this life It's the best possible kind of life. You need to decide. Will you trust Jesus? Will you give him your life? 
There's so, so much of our culture, when they look at Christianity, when they look at Jesus, they say, well, Jesus wants our life, but what he gives us is this boring, dull thing that robs me of all the fun that I want to have in my life. Jesus doesn't love me because if he loved me, he wouldn't tell me I couldn't do a bunch of stuff. Man, I hear that all the time. Here's the deal. I'm a dad. I have a 9, a 10, and a 12-year-old. When they were younger, because I loved them, I told my girls that they could not play in the busy street in front of our house. Because I love them, I said, no, you can't do that. I know it looks like fun. And I know in the moment, maybe it is, it feels fun and exciting and you can run, you could ride your bike there and it feels really fun. But I'm, I'm telling you, no. You can't do that thing because I love you and because I care about you. So is it possible that all of those times when you're like, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus stuff because he's just, he's just gonna, he's gonna harsh my mo, he's gonna kill my buzz, he's not gonna let me do anything fun. Is it possible that the no is coming from a place of love? Because the life that Jesus has for you is so much better than the one that you're living. And the only way you're gonna be able to find out is if you test it. Test it. Try it out. Jesus says, I offer you life to the full. Try it. My God won't disappoint you. Jesus loves you so much. So maybe, maybe you're here and you're hearing all of this. And you know Jesus. You know all of this. You're like, oh my gosh, this chapel. I know that. Maybe like you know all this, but like you've kind of walked away. So maybe for you this morning, it's about recommitting to the Jesus that loves you so much. Or maybe you love him and you know this and you're following him. But you walk around every day on a campus and in dorms and in classrooms with people who you know don't know Jesus. And instead of love them, you avoid them. Maybe you're here and this is all new. And it's a lot to take in. Jesus made some pretty big claims, and they're not claims to be taken lightly. And if that's you, if that's where you're at, can I just, let me just say a couple things. The Bible is true. Jesus is truth. Truth is a person. And Jesus can be trusted. And so maybe you, for the first time this morning, are at a place where you're like, okay, I'm going to try it. Because what I've been doing, the way I've been living, clearly it's not working. Because there's an emptiness inside of me that if I'm honest, I don't quite know what to do with it. And I can pretend and I can hide and I can cover it up and I can ignore it and I can make fun of the people around me that clearly have something in their life that I don't. I don't know what it is. But maybe it's time for me to try it. And if that's, if that's you, if that's where you're at, then in a moment I'd love to pray for you. And maybe... Maybe you're here this morning and you're part of this campus community and you've come to these chapels or your Wing Wednesdays and you, you hear all this talk about Jesus and hope and you're not buying it. You're like, look, man, I came here to play a sport and then you like trick me with all of this Jesus stuff. 
not buying. And you know what? If that's you, that's okay. Because I'll see you at the next chapel. And the one after that. And I'll see you in the calf. And I'll see you around campus. And my heart, my heart is to continue to tell you over and over and over about a Jesus who will change your life the same way he changed mine. Jesus who's God. Because I know it's true. And I am determined for you to come to know Jesus. So we're going to pray together. And I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for this time this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for just the truth of who he is. And God, I pray in the quietness of this space with no no fanfare, no, no emotion, God, that you would speak clearly to the students in this room. God, if there's somebody this morning who doesn't know you and wants to know you, Father, I pray that they would open their heart to you. I pray that they would acknowledge who they are. I pray that they would acknowledge the sin in their own life and they would invite you in as their Savior and that they would follow you as their Lord. God, I pray for those in this room that this morning has maybe been a wake-up call, a recommitment, a time to realign back with who you say you are and what it looks like to follow Jesus. So I pray for those students. I pray that you would um, make yourself known, that you would encourage them. Father, that they would be bold on this campus, that we would see revival break out in this space because of students like that. God, I pray for those within the sound of my voice that want nothing to do with you. And I thank you for them. I love them, God. I know that you love them. I know that you created them. I know that you desperately want a relationship with them. So God, I pray, I pray for holy disruptions in their life. I pray they wouldn't be able to sleep. I pray they wouldn't be able to concentrate because of the gnawing of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen.